the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I um, spent uh, the first hour talking about this brand new four-count indictment, criminal indictment against Donald Trump, and I am happy to uh, go over that again further with you this hour. Uh, Suffice it to say, my read of the indictment is that it is the attempted criminalization of fully protected speech, fully protected constitutional speech. I set aside my monologue um, in the first hour to cover that breaking news. I shall give it to you now, and we will return to the Trump indictment and other matters shortly. I was talking to a smart friend this morning about something I mentioned here once, and his shock was just about the same temperature as the shock I got from the audience based on calls and emails when I had mentioned it once before here. I said one of my favorite, not guilty, but favorite pleasures in life is frozen pizza, and I ate one or two last night. If I'm spending a night in solitude with no company other than Dagny the Wonder Dog and can eat anything I want, it would be a frozen pizza. Not even a good delivered pizza from a pizza parlor, my friend asked. Nope, not even that. He then said, well, you don't eat it frozen, do you? No, I'm not an alien. I heat it up per instruction. Is this so odd? A quick investigation reveals frozen pizza sales constitute over $6 billion in sales each year with hundreds of millions sold each year. And yet the emails, like my surprised friend this morning, kept coming in along the lines of Seth or Mr. Leibson, you're a man of taste or some such. Frozen pizzas, really? And it dawned on me, we hear an awful lot about the elites in Washington or New York or Davos and elsewhere, but perhaps in some respects we don't hear enough about the virtues of the common. Now let me stipulate, in most of the correspondence that came my way expressing, expressing shock that I delight in frozen pizzas, I reposted, were William Buckley alive, would you criticize him for his fondness for red wing peanut butter? William Buckley, of whom nobody could be said to have more taste in culture outside perhaps someone like David Niven, who would go on retreats to Switzerland every winter with William Buckley, no one loved peanut butter as much as William Buckley. So much so, he told his fiancée the only requirement he had in their pending marriage was that she serve him peanut butter every day. And he even had a favorite brand, Red Wing. William Buckley's son once wrote, quote, My dad's one true quest in life was for the platonic ideal of peanut butter. And I remember one day he announced, with a look of utter transfiguration on his face, that he had found paradise on earth in a jar with a yellow cap, and it was called Red Wing. Close quote. William Buckley himself once wrote he delighted as much in finding Shakespeare as he did in finding Red Wing peanut butter. This patrician and scion of an oil baron, Buckley, would famously run for mayor of New York, saying he'd rather be governed by the first 200 names in the Boston telephone directory than the first 200 names of the Harvard faculty. And in that quest for mayor of New York City, his votes came mostly from blue-collar workers and the police. Common man because common sentiment. I have no idea how the word common became such a pejorative in our vernacular, when in fact it is 
an autoantonym or Janus word, sometimes known as a contronym. This is all prologue to the import of elites versus commons. As I say, we hear an awful lot about the elites, and we usually speak or write of them with an admixture of contempt and fear. A, that they don't understand the real world, and B, that they control it. Is there any concern, writing, interest in the common man? I mean, in our modern moment, the only person who seemed to be fascinated with this, what Calvin Coolidge might have called the forgotten man, was Selena Zito, a journalist who went to washed-out industrial cities of yore to explain the Donald Trump phenomenon of 2016. Aside from Zito, not much. And yet it seems to me it's the common that any country calling itself a democracy or a republic would want to think about and read about and understand, and that includes the tastes of the common. Quick question. If you could wish your income would be exclusively from the receipts of McDonald's or the French Laundry restaurant, what would you rather? The question answers itself. High billions versus about $15 million per year. And it's not just a question of access, is it? If money were no object to anyone, the equations would be just about the same. McDonald's would be far more popular. It's about tastes, wants, desires, and customs, which is to say it's about our culture and who we are and what we are. I was thinking about this a bit when the other week I recited a line from the historian Will Durant, who wrote in the Saturday Evening Post anent a Norman Rockwell painting celebrating freedom of worship. Now, before revisiting that line of Mr. Durant's, consider everything I just said. Will Durant, one of our country's greatest writers and historians, yet abhorred by the elite academics, who could never write as well or as much or as broadly as he could. Norman Rockwell, who I mentioned, a painter who spoke to the American brain and bosom in a way and with works the finest art galleries, out, finest art galleries would never exhibit. And I mentioned the Saturday Evening Post, whose reputation would be somewhat on par with Reader's Digest and never accepted in a college or graduate thesis, and whose publications would never constitute the kind of peer review that academics seek for their appointments and jobs. Odi profanum vulgus, the Roman poet Horace wrote, I hate the vulgar crowd. That is as good as any motto of the John Kerry types, the elite who never tire of speaking of the tired, the poor, the weak, the huddled masses. I recall a campaign event of John Kerry's in 2004. The New York Times wrote it up this way. John Kerry, John Edwards, and their wives were in Newburgh, New York, and they reportedly decided to depart from the scripted bus tour for some burgers. One account wrote of, quote, Tom Brokaw, George Stephanopoulos, and a hundred members of the media, many of whom were pressed against the Wendy's window or at the counter when the foursome ordered. Carrie Ann Edwards wanted to be seen eating at a Wendy's and thought a good photo op could be had. But the story continued, quote, After the Carrie party chewed their burgers and slurped their Diet Cokes and Frosties, they retreated to their bus where they were greeted with a meal smuggled in from the Newburgh Yacht Club. Shrimp vindaloo, grilled diver sea scallops, and prosciutto-wrapped stuffed chicken, close quote. Odi profanum vulgus indeed. Or perhaps one might think of his statement that he needs to fly, John Kerry's statement that he needs to fly private jets to save the masses from global warming, and makes no apology for doing just that, because he's the only one who can, he said. But back to that thing Will Durant wrote, quote, 
a good man who is not great is a hundred times more precious than a great man who is not good, close quote. That is what I think of when I think of America's common man. He is a good man, and he is not great in that he is not famous, and he may never secure a patent or belong to a country club or have a profile of him written in a newspaper or a magazine. There will be no statues built to him, but he does his job, raises his family, works hard at both, and represents the common virtues of faith and decency. My mind takes me to what Richard Nixon represented. In his 1968 speech to the Republican Convention, he spoke of the quiet and forgotten Americans, quote, the non-shouters, the non-demonstrators. They work in America's factories. They run America's businesses. They serve in government. They provide most of the soldiers who died to keep us free. They give drive to the spirit of America. They give lift to the American dream. They give steel to the backbone of America. They are good people. They are decent people. They work and they save and they pay their taxes and they care, close quote. Richard Nixon said. And in his farewell to his White House staff in 1974, Nixon spoke of just who he had in mind in the representation of his dad, saying, quote, This country needs good farmers, good businessmen, good plumbers, good carpenters. I remember my old man. I think that they would have called him sort of a little man, a common man. He didn't consider himself that way. You know what he was? He was a streetcar motorman first, and then he was a farmer, and then he had a lemon ranch. It was the poorest lemon ranch in California, I can assure you. And he sold it before they found oil on it. And then he was a grocer. But he was a great man because he did his job, and every job counts up to the hilt regardless of what happens. Close quote. And then Richard Nixon spoke of his mother, saying, quote, Nobody will ever write a book probably about my mother. And I guess all of you would say this about your mother, but my mother was a saint, close quote. Nixon carried this burden of the common his whole life, famously saying of John Kennedy that the media hated him, Nixon, because they see Kennedy and see who they want to be. But then they see Nixon and see who they really are. And as history will now show, Kennedy was a myth whose personal behavior was far more deplorable than Nixon's and whose political crimes may have been worse as well. But they had to get Nixon as they had to apotheosize Kennedy because of the loathe for the hard and serious American values one represented over the other, and, of course, the politically psychological loathing of self. Why did, after all, Buckley get the hard hats to vote for him? Why did Reagan, millionaire Hollywood actor, one would think generally, as with Buckley of the elite class, why did he get Macomb County? Because they got America, that's why. And why did the media always miss this, as it missed Trump, wealthier than Reagan and Buckley combined in 2016? They understood the bosom of America, the non-elites that Pocky Nixon work in America's factories, run America's businesses, provide most of the soldiers who died to keep us free, give drive to the spirit of America, give lift to the American dream, give steel to the backbone of America, who are good people, decent people, who work and save and pay their taxes and care. Try it this way. What represents America better? A rail splitter who grew up in a log cabin who could recite the Declaration of Independence by heart? Or a man who says his nickname is Lunch Pail Joe, but earns millions 
and mansions from a lifetime of government service and calls the Declaration of Independence's guarantee of equality, you know, the thing. G.K. Chesterton visited America in the 1920s, and he wrote a book on it. There he wrote, in America, quote, equality is not some crude fairy tale about all men being equally tall or equally tricky, which we not only cannot believe but cannot believe in anybody believing. It is an absolute of morals by which all men have a value invariable and indestructible and a dignity as intangible as death. Some may doubt, but in truth it is inequality that is the illusion in America. The extreme disproportion between men that we seem to see in life is a thing of changing lights and lengthening shadows. A twilight full of fancies and distortions. We find a man famous and cannot live long enough to find him forgotten. We see a race dominant and cannot linger to see it decay. It is the experience of men that always returns to the equality of men. It is the average that ultimately justifies the average man. It is when men have seen and suffered much and come at the end of more elaborate experiments that they see men as men under an equal light of death and daily laughter and nonetheless mysterious for being many. Nor is it in any vein that these Western Democrats have sought the blazonry of their flag and that great multitude of immortal lights that endure behind the fires we see and gathered them into the corners of old glory whose ground is like the glittering night. For veritably in the spirit as well as in the symbol, suns and moons and meteors pass and fill our skies with a fleeting and almost theatrical conflagration. For wherever the old shadow stoops upon the earth, the stars return. Close quote. G.K. Chesterton. In a great many respects, I think the divisions we feel and see in America today are what backfill all of what Chesterton writes and what Buckley and Nixon and Reagan stood for. A standing for the common man, which was and is a standing up for equality, which is a standing up of single standards and not one set of rules and advantages for elites, however they may come, racial, financial, philosophical, educational, you name it, and for the common after all, to hate the common here, odi profanum vulgus, is to hate as much as it is to misunderstand what this country is all about, Charlie Brown. So bring on the peanut butter, bring on the frozen pizzas, and keep your shrimp vindaloo and grilled diver scallops while you pose, pose, with hamburgers at Wendy's. I'm Seth Leibson. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. The main news, obviously, of the day will be the new uh, four-count indictment, brand-new four-count indictment of Donald Trump by uh, special counsel Jack Smith. I covered it uh, best I could in the first hour, and we'll return to it as you wish. In fact, Greg is calling in from Jandler. Hello, Greg. Hey, How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. Can you hear me? Not great. Uh, is there a way to move or adjust? Or... Uh, is that a little bit better right there? Yeah, it is. Don't move. <laughs> freeze. <Okay>. Freeze. <laughs> Try not to. Okay. Hey, uh, not an attorney, but I was extremely obviously disappointed in the medical community for basically just shutting down and turning, well, I'd say turning coward with the COVID uh, that came up, and we completely drained our brains of any sort of common sense historical medical practices and just allowed one fool or a group of fools to dictate how we cared for ourselves. 
the I see a similar thing happening here, and I don't know what the remedy is. Is I know there's a thing a friend of is it called a uh, uh, it's not an amicus brief or what is, a friend of the court? Yeah, that's that's an amicus brief. Is a friend of the court brief? Amicus, brief? A- amicus okay. amici meaning friend. Yeah. So to see this absurdity, which really, again, if there was, you know, you could have your Dershowitz and your Turleys, it would honestly say that this is nothing more than just a breach of the Constitution and a man's uh, rights are being trampled on here. Is it not reasonable to think that there's like a million or so attorneys out there that would be strong enough to send that in and send put their names to it to say, this cannot stand. This, I mean, our republic cannot stand if this is what happens. It's, well, uh, yeah. I, the, the, how many attorneys are there in America? There's probably about a total of a million attorneys in America. How many? Do you know, David? Are you able to? Uh, how many attorneys? I think there's about a million. The whole, bar, the whole national bar might be about a million, Greg. So I don't think we'll get a million. But um, I'd be curious to know what the number is. What is it, David? Did you look it up already? 1.3 million. 1.3 million. Okay. Uh, probably uh, 900,000 too many is my guess. But, um, Greg, what you will find is uh, probably organizations. Usually an amicus brief uh, will be filed by an organization signed by multiple multiple interested parties. Um, some And they don't have to be attorneys, by the way. They don't have to be attorneys. Um, but I was kind of interested about what you said with regard to looping it into the pandemic. Can I can I have you state what you meant again by bringing up the pandemic? I think I heard you right, and I'll take what I heard if if you don't restate it. But if you're still able to communicate with us, what did you mean by bringing up the pandemic? Well, so I kind of hearken this back to you know the you know the reality of the good German or what happened with the good German in the 30s, mm. and they just kind of turned their back as their neighbor was maligned mm-hmm. in obvi- obvious historical fashion. But I see I see ourselves being tested right now in that same way. Are we standing up? Um, is it is it real? I mean, myself as a general contractor, I try to inform people as much as I possibly can. There's no future in electric cars. I, there's not enough power. If I stuck a power, if I put everybody a cord in everybody's house, then everybody's shutting their air conditioning. Right. But then either right. or, we don't have that ability. So to lie to our citizenry, as a professional, it's our duty to update and tell everybody, look, we're being lied to in this particular case. So in my, uh, my you know, I've got family that's a medical practice. Sure, sure. They were quiet and they took in these absurd, you know, wear a mask and it'll yeah. save your life. Yeah. That was absurd on its face, pun intended, from the get-go, yet. Everybody and and there were dead. doctors that said absurdities, and there were doctors that said things that they thought was true because they were following the lead of other doctors, and there were doctors that contradicted them. That's the point that I think is so important here, Greg, and I think is relatable to this indictment because it is this indictment is the cr- criminalization of speech. You could take an attorney uh, of Donald Trump's, and you could take either another attorney of Donald Trump's or yet another attorney of someone else and get three different views by those three attorneys on whether the election was fraudulent or whether there was evidence of fraud. And obviously Donald Trump wanted the advice of the attorney that substantiated his point of view. You could do the same in some respects with COVID. You could get two doctors. I was in rooms. I was in board meetings. I was in other kinds of meetings where you had two doctors of totally different totally different views on COVID. I think both sincere. But now, 
for a court to come in and say, but one of those views was monumentally wrong and is a cr- and subject to criminal indictment because, you know, the economy suffered, children suffered, people may have even lost lives over these kinds of expressions of opinion, none of which were an incitement to riot, is to criminalize exactly what Jack Smith is criminalizing, fully protected freedom of speech. Maybe wrong, but it's constitutionally protected. The people whose speech was not protected were the people who were actually right on COVID. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems and forcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter. From draconian COVID restrictions, the decimation of small businesses, and changed election laws, which may have led to a Biden presidency, Midas Gold Group believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power, and their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer? Convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver, Precious metals are private currency used to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of you already trust the veterans at Midas Gold Group. They're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy. Call the Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. MidasGoldGroup.com. Sorry for popping my peas there. There was a lot of alliteration. <laughs> David Dahl, you must be familiar with alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> Double I D. I was born with it. YDD, young David Dahl, we call you. Um, what do you got on your pin today? Uh, keep New York, what does it say? <laughs> I don't even know. Keep New York in front. Rockefeller Javits. Rockefeller Javits. Keep New York in front. Two Republicans I can't stand. Yeah, pretty much. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. (laughs) Okay. So, of course, they put up a center in their names, right? There's centers in their names because, of course, you know, they're... They're the elite. They're the respectables, you know? They're the shrimp vindaloo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We get we get we get a, a, a terminal at the airport uh in Phoenix. They get uh huge centers in New York and Oh Rockefeller the, Center. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Was I vague on the point? Oh I, I just wasn't sure. I was like I've never heard of Javits Center. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, there's the Javits Center too. Oh yeah. You I have bet. yet to visit the big Apple If you if you go to a hotel in New York, I think they give you a special tax to even pay for the Javits Center. They couldn't even oh, tap. No. They couldn't even tax Rockefeller enough to pay for the Javits Center. Everyone has to pay for it. <laughs> At least last time I was in New York. <clears throat> Here's a sentence you won't hear me say very often. Go to the Washington Post. Go to the WashingtonPost.com and watch Jack Smith, the special counsel who indicted Donald Trump today. Watch his three-minute press statement. Watch it because it's all about January sixth. And the indictment itself is very thin on the doings and goings on on the day of January 6th. It is, in fact, when you read the indictment, all about things Donald Trump said to people who, outside of five or six others, never heard him. You know, things he said to his lawyers, things he said to his advisors, 
And what Jack Smith is doing is criminalizing that thought process, those thought processes, those beliefs about the election. If you're going to criminalize beliefs about an election, you're going to criminalize what you consider, what a Department of Justice, what an attorney, a prosecuting attorney considers wrong beliefs. That's where we're at. You are criticized. You are condemning and criminalizing wrong beliefs, criminalizing wrong beliefs. That may be George Orwell's Fredonia. It's not the constitutional republic known as the United States of America that has a First Amendment that protects people's wrong beliefs. If I were wrong, per caller, was it Greg, in the last segment, in the previous segment, an awful lot of people would be criminally indicted for the rot they said about COVID. The wrong beliefs they had about that. There aren't enough courtrooms and there aren't enough lawyers in the country to defend those wrong beliefs should they ever face criminal indictment because they are held to be wrong by some people. The irony is the right beliefs are what was censored during COVID. Now, I can disagree with Donald Trump on his beliefs about the election of 2020, and you can disagree, or you can agree, and I can disagree with Hillary Clinton and her beliefs about the 2016 election, and Jimmy Carter's beliefs about the 2016 election, and Kamala Harris's, and Joe Biden's, and Nancy Pelosi's, who said as much or more about the fallacy of 2016, about the fraud of 2016 and the illegitimacy of Donald Trump's presidency. But as God is my witness, and as my bar certification in the state of Massachusetts will attest to, it's not illegal to say it. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. That's Sonny Curtis singing and writing the Mary Tyler Moore theme song. He was a drummer for what band, young David? Ah, I don't know. <laughs> a band called the Crickets. Oh, really? Fronted by a man named Buddy Holly. Yeah. 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 Rings a bell. <laughs> Rob in Surprise doesn't need instruction on that. Hi, Rob. Well, you're right. I, I didn't need instruction on that. But um, thanks for pointing that out. That's that's very profound. I, I'm actually very impressed. Seth. You didn't know that Sonny Curtis, who wrote the Mary Tyler theme song, Mary Tyler Moore theme song, was a member of the Crickets. I, I, yeah, no, I didn't know that he had written the theme song. Yeah, written and performed. Uh, yeah, I'll be darned. Yeah. I was um, I, about a week ago. Uh, my wife and I started watching, and I got a, uh, a DVD set of Miami Vice. Have you ever? Miami Vice. Have I ever seen Miami Vice? Come on, Rob. Are you new well, here? Well, yeah, no. Um, but Jan Hammer had written all the music and played all the music um, and had a whole bunch of interesting guests from Frank Zappa to uh, Ted Nugent to uh, Helena Bonham Carter, which was you know, Sonny's girlfriend for a while until I guess he found out she was a drug addict. Anyway. Um, you know what that the, show but, didn't have as a guest? Uh, Frank Sinatra, uh, which Magnum P.I. Yeah. did have. 
Well, you know, that's... The that's, better that's, show. That's it was a better show. Well, yeah, but the music and the and the uh, the colors in Miami Vice, I thought, was always kind of interesting. And I, it's funny because watching uh, the DVDs, because I guess I was at sea a lot, um, I missed a lot of these shows. But it's funny how things sort of come back to you. Um, and you don't hear much about Don Johnson anymore. Uh, or Philip Michael Thomas, for that matter, the two leads. Um, w- one of the things that concerns me about this whole indictment thing is, first of all, I think it's crock. Second of all, I, and again, I'm not that, a lawyer. That's a good legal uh, term for what I think it is, too. Well, yeah. And and I think that um, when, you, when you take your Wayback Machine to 2020 and you find that... Uh, uh, or even, yeah, I guess it was 2020, even before the election. And you, and you found these tens of thousands of people that went to all the Trump uh, rallies. And you found, you know, uh, maybe a dozen people that went to a Joe Biden uh, so-called rally that had circles around a chair. And he would come up and talk. And I, I looked at myself uh, and I thought, this is... This seems very, very strange that, you know, first of all, he doesn't want to talk much to people. And second of all, he's not even trying very hard because, you know, he spent most of his time in the basement with these very few uh, intervals of going out and having people sit in a chair at some place that uh, didn't have more than a dozen or so people. Um, And then... You go back to Election Day in 2020, and you realize, you know, when, I guess, Trump was ahead by a a significant margin until, I can't remember, it was 2 a.m. or 4 a.m., and all of a sudden, things froze up. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes these hundreds of thousands of votes from various, well, from the key states uh, that uh, ended up tipping in Biden's favor. Now... I'm I'm one of those common men that uh, I think Aaron Copeland wrote a great fanfare for. Yes, sir. And, and you, you'd mentioned, you know, common men earlier. And yep. I have a feeling that the common man in the U.S. can see all this and can understand all this and knows what's going on. And that gives me faith that um, they know that Donald Trump was not uh, either inciting a riot on the 6th of January, uh, nor was he wrong to suggest that uh, the election was not uh, properly done because of all of the corruption. And I remember, was it Detroit when they uh, the Democrats put up uh, something along the glass walls that couldn't let anybody in or... You know, nobody could see what they were doing. And then you had uh, videos of of trucks coming in and dumping off a bunch of ballots. And during this 2 to 4 a.m. time period. And so I think the common man in America saw all that and understood all that and realized that it was uh, it was a false election. It It was cheated. Uh, and it was uh, a fraud. And so it, 
regardless of the legal ramifications of this latest indictment, which I think is a crock, again, um, I think that the common man, who I always have faith in, will see through it all and see the common sense uh, come through and say, well, they'll say the same thing. This is all a crock, and it needs to be dismissed. But the problem, of course, is, like you said, it's uh, going into Washington, D.C., and it's going to be seen by an Obama-appointed judge. So, But even that, uh, when people are made aware of that, I think are also going to see, well, this is a further crock. Um, and I... The Democrats and the Department of Justice are overseeing the decimation of their own credibility. That's what they're doing here. They are overseeing, they are overseeing and they are waging the decimation and destruction of their own credibility. Because whether, whether, whether the common man or you or David or Bill or I uh, agree with what you said about the election or not, there's no question. There is no question but that we have the First Amendment right to believe it and say it. Just as there well, is right. but no question that Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton and Jimmy Carter and almost every Democrat, including Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, elected to Congress, said the same damn thing about 2016 and for longer sure. periods of time. And with... Yeah. and And... And, you know, with with impunity and as well, they should have had impunity for it. They should have been argued with. They should have been condemned for saying it. They should have been subject to ridicule. They should have been subject to evidence. They should have been subject to debate. They should have been subject to criticism. But they shouldn't have been subject to a criminal indictment for saying that. There aren't enough courtrooms in the country to do this, and there is something called the First Amendment which allows you to believe something that someone else may not think is true. Well, that's right. And yet, at the same time, in 2016, there was no evidence to suggest that there was some sort of uh, voter fraud that was going on in 2020. Go back, if you can stomach it, and watch Michael Moore's mockumentary Fahrenheit 911, or at least the first 20 minutes. It opens with Democrat after Democrat after Democrat after Democrat saying that George W. Bush was not legitimately elected on certification day in 2001. And he showed it not to mock them and not to say they were wrong, but to celebrate them for saying it in the first place. Why, thank you, Maestro. How do you think the Biden administration is handling the economy? Bank failures, stock market's volatility, talk of recession, inflation for certain. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve? A portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Why Refi has all of that? There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and they're based here locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been, and I can tell you, 
No one's going to ask you to sign anything, and you won't get a sales pitch. But when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. David, your activity on Twitter is increasing. I'm glad to see that. Yeah, I finally have a profile picture. (laughs) You have a profile picture. You have a picture of the David Dahlmobile. Uh, the the Francis Sinatra mobile. It's really a Francis Albert Sinatra mobile. That's right, and um, and you are putting up pictures of delectables, pictures of food. Yes, which Just I love. Is, is are pretty much on my Instagram as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you yeah. put up you put up a couple of hot dogs from last night. That Wasn't that amazing. great? They, you know, it was such a quick put together meal. I didn't you know think it deserved its own video or anything like that. But it was it was really easy to put together some Chicago hot dogs last night. What is a Chicago hot dog? Uh, it's got a pickle a hot pepper in it you oh have it with tomatoes and oh it's onion, the appurtenances and and okay the, 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 the mustard it's always mustard never ketchup never ketchup yeah uh whether you live in chicago or new york or los angeles or phoenix or topeka it's never ketchup it's <laughs> what never was that line from dirty Harry? never is it ever ketchup Mitt Romney was eating a hot dog with ketchup on it that tells you just about everything you need to know about everything it's never ketchup. Nobody, and I mean nobody, puts ketchup on a hot dog. Did Dirty Harry say that? Oh, yeah, he says it. Yeah. Well, who are we to argue with Dirty Harry? Who can argue yeah, with that? You know, I have a question for you. You yeah. say you love frozen pizza so yes, much. Yes, sir. Would, if you were, you know, in the like, cheaper the better, by the in way. In a death row situation, would frozen pizza be, be the choice? <laughs> <laughs> you have one final Something meal. tells me I wouldn't be very hungry. No. <laughs> Something tells me I wouldn't be very hungry. <laughs> All right, Hugh Hallman coming up. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 